Hi, and welcome to the Hollywood Dreammaker Podcast. I'm your host, Billy Gallo. I'm a 35-year veteran actor. I'm the kid who came out to Hollywood with 200 bucks in my pocket and a one-way ticket when I was 18. Didn't know a soul out here, and I've been living my dream ever since. I've had an amazing career. I've been an Academy Award-winning film, blockbuster film, hit TV series. You name it, I've done it, and I got the IMDB credits to prove it. Six years ago, I opened up my own school, the Manhattan Actor Studio, where I found my true passion. That's teaching the craft of acting, but not only teaching the craft of being the guy. Success leaves clues. I know how to make dreams a reality. I did it for myself, and I do it on a daily basis for my students. And I can help you achieve yours. Welcome to my podcast. Let's get started. Hi, this is Billy Gallo, and I want to introduce an awesome friend of mine. Uh, Andy and I have been friends for about 15 years. We met on a picture called Tenth and Wolf in Pittsburgh. Andy is a very talented second unit director, director, writer, producer, stunt coordinator. You name it, Andy's done it. He's a dear friend of mine. I want to introduce Andy Dillon. Hello, everyone. How are Thanks you? Thanks for having brother? me on. Good. I'm great. I'm happy to be on. Well, it's an honor to have you on. Uh, thanks, bud. So how are you holding up in New Orleans? Uh, we're recording this April 6th, and we're in the middle of the corona pandemic. And I know New Orleans is a hot spot. So how are you doing? Yeah, we're doing well. We're staying inside and, you know, just doing walks with the dogs every day and keeping away from bunches of people. But uh, it's, you know, my house is clean. My yard is uh, very well kept right now. And but it's good. And I'm, you know, I'm actually using this time to learn a new program, uh, a storyboard program that I've been wanting to learn. So that's been good. You know? Awesome. Yeah. I think yeah. it's great. You know, I think it's great for me. It's uh, you know, this whole podcast is coming out of the downtime, you know, it's something I wanted to yeah. do. You know, I just didn't have time because I was so busy right. with the studio. And now that it's, I have a little time, I'm jumping on board and I'm honored to have you as a guest. Awesome. So Andy, you know, I've had Manhattan Actors Studio for about six years ago. I opened the studio. And first off, I want to get this right off the bat. I want to tell you a little story, okay, real quick. So six years ago, when I decided to open up the Manhattan Actors Studio, you know, I, I remember I had told you, you know, what the dream was, and, and I wanted to build an acting studio in Manhattan Beach. And I was kind of going through a hard time in my life. I just lost my 11-year-old niece to brain cancer. And um I lost my father to prostate cancer and my wife had a miscarriage and then she got diagnosed with breast cancer. So in the midst of all of that shit, I was getting bombarded, you know, I mean, my, my dog got ran over by a car too. And I, I mean, I, you know, it was probably one of the toughest years of my life, but I didn't realize back then that, you know, in the shit of cancer, I planted seeds. You know, the idea of opening up this Manhattan Actors Studio popped into my head. And in that, that was the fertilizer. You know, I planted those seeds and this beautiful studio came out of it where I get to touch people's lives on a daily basis. And I remember being in the studio and building the studio by myself for a month. And I was with a sledgehammer and I was knocking down walls and I was tearing this place apart and creating the studio. And I remember having a conversation with you and I was about a month into it and I was kind of kind of beat up, tired, depressed. You know, I was like, what am I doing here? You know, I'm putting money into building this studio. I, you know, I kept hearing if you build it, they will come, you know, but <laughs> I was kind of at my wit's end. I had so much work ahead of me. And I remember you calling me up and saying, 
don't worry, I'm going to be there. I'm coming down. I'm coming down. And I was like, okay. And I remember you showed up like on a Saturday morning and you came with like a caravan of stunt guys and all kinds <laughs> of power tools and saws and lumber. And it was just, it was the, one of the most magical moments for me because I was in, I had doubts if I could actually accomplish this. You know, I wanted to build risers for the seats, theater seats and all this stuff. And, you know, I was doing it by myself. I didn't know how to do it. But then you showed up with your crew and it was amazing. I mean, I words can't even describe, you know, you brought tears to my eyes. You guys, you just, was, I can't thank you enough. If it no, wasn't you, you know, my studio, I don't think it would have been built, you know? So I really, I'm very grateful <laughs> for what oh, you did. Course. That's what friends are for, man. That's what friends are for. <laughs> so, you know, Andy, all the time I get actors coming in here or, you know, I have some guys that come in and they're interested about, you know, they want to be in the stunt business and, you know, that's not my forte, but that's why, you know, I, I'm very grateful. I've reached out to you a couple of times and you've had some conversations with, uh, you know, some of my actors and kind of led them down the right path. And if any listeners out there and they have a desire to get into the, uh, the career of, you know, the stunt business, uh, advice, you know, would you say to them? Over the years, I've had a lot of people, you know, come up to me when I on set or just at bar and ask me, you know, what it is about, you know, how do you become a stunt person? And I really, I do believe it kind of starts. I think I've always given the, the advice that's sort of right on the nose, which is the step-by-step -step process that I took to get into the stunt business. But I, I think where I've maybe, you know, learned my lesson on that is that you really need to tell the person what the stunt business is before you can say, here's how you get your first job and here's how you make it into a career. What I mean by that is that being a stuntman to most people is, you know, taking an athletic ability and turning it into being able to double an actor and fall down some stairs or, or drive a car fast and crash it or jump off a building. Well, the career has those elements to it, but it is like any other career, something that you have to maintain on a daily basis between the jobs, between the falling off of the buildings jobs. You know, so the first thing that I would say now, which I, I hadn't said to people in the past is, do you really know what the career is about? And, you know, there are some amazing books out there that give the sort of the scope of what a stuntman's life is like. It's usually sort of life stories. Um, and, I, and we can put that up later. I don't know how you do that, but there, Hal yeah, Needham has a like. yeah. Hal Needham has a book. Uh, he was a legendary stuntman, but a different stuntman than I am today. And I will explain that later. But he has a book called The Stuntman. There's a there's a book by Vic Armstrong, who is still a stunt coordinator today, and more of a sort of more of a cutting edge stunt coordinator. That it's called The World's Greatest Stuntman, and Vic Armstrong wrote that book. But we'll put some links up later. I would start there because it really does tell you what it's like. And in a nutshell, I've been a stuntman for 29 years and it is a great lifestyle. It is. It's a lifestyle though. It's not a, just a job. I mean, all of my friends, for the most part, most of my friends are tight knit family of stunt people. You know, the, you're living day to day, bettering yourself in how you compete with the stunt community, but in a friendly way, but to stay up to speed with the technologies of filmmaking. It's not just falling off a building nowadays. It's a lot, lot more than that. And it's not something you ever become famous doing. <laughs> so it's very different. Not that, you know, actors go into it because they want to be famous. I mean, most of the time, and I, and I know, Billy, you probably 
you probably teach this that that's a byproduct of it, but that's not how you go into it and why you go into it. Stunt people take a backseat in front of the camera feeling that a lot of actors get. And they have, you have to do that with pride. That's a whole nother, you know, sort of thing that stunt people deal with. I mean, you know, screen actors guild, there's no Academy award. I mean, there's an Academy award for things that go on the TV show the day before the Academy awards, but for stuntmen or stunt performers or action design, versus, you know, clothing design versus makeup design. There is nothing, even though in every clip of the Academy Awards, there's one piece of action in it. But as a stunt person, you take that with stride. That is part of being a stunt person. So I think the steps of getting into a stunt career start way in the beginning with the type of person you are, which is somebody that has to be relentless in your go-getting ability. There is no real school. There is no agent. There is no person at the schools that come to your school and say, here's how you become a stunt person. It is probably less touchable than even an actor because there are acting schools and there are people that guide you through this process like you do, Billy. But as a stunt person, you are literally hustling the work more than I've seen a lot of careers. When did the dream first enter your mind? When did you know you wanted to be a stuntman? So it entered my mind very, I think, late in life as far as when you start a career. But it's kind of a funny story. So I was in college. I was a springboard diver. So I was an acrobat. And I did well with that. But I had no idea. I mean, I graduated from college. I got out of college. I was a struggling photographer. I was teaching diving for kids at a community center. And I still, at age 28, 29, had no idea that a diver turns into a stuntman. Don't know why. And I think it's probably just because I grew up in Maryland and I didn't grow up in a place like maybe New York or LA back then when that's where those careers were. But one day I had a friend call me and said, Hey, there was a, I was a high diver. I became a high diver traveling around Europe, diving off of these like 80 foot towers into these little teeny pools making $70 a day. And somebody said to me, Hey, diver, a friend of mine, uh, SeaWorld is looking for a diver for a show down in Florida. So I was like, Oh, okay. I'll go jump off of that darn ladder into that dirty lake, you know, for $70 a day. So I, so I got the job at SeaWorld in Florida and I, I moved down to Florida. And after about a, you know, six months of diving at SeaWorld, a job audition came up for the Indiana Jones Epic Stunt Spectacular at the MGM Studios at Disney. And I was like, oh, well, I'll go try that, you know, try it out. And so I went over there and holy moly, I got the job as Indiana Jones, you know. So all of a sudden I was like, you know, pushed into learning how to use the whip, learning how to, you know, take my high diving abilities and move them into high falling into pads versus water. I was learning how to fight. I was learning how to you know, act. And, you know, my parents thought I was joining the carnival, you know? (laughs) So I was like, just hold with me, mom and dad, I'm going to make this into something. I didn't know what I was going to make it into, but I was, you know, I was now a Disney character at Disney world in Florida. And, uh, that turned out to be the best thing that ever happened to me because from there I learned what a stuntman was. I learned that the path from people being Indiana Jones or playing other characters in that show, those people that had that go-getter, you know, quality would then say, Hey, I'm going to take this to Los Angeles because that was the spot 
during those periods of time down back in 2003, 2004, that was the place you needed to go and you needed to start your hustle to become a stuntman. So I jumped in my car, stuffed my stuff in my car, and I drove out to LA knowing nobody. And that's how I started my hustle. What does a first year look like? Is it similar to an actor's first year in Hollywood? Yeah, I would, you know, it's interesting. I kind of had the aspirations of being an actor at the same time when I got out there because, man, Hollywood just lights you up, you know, like, you know, the dream is right there in front of you. And so I was like, you know, I got into acting classes, but I also, you know, was able to get a, a part time one day a month job at Universal Studios in the Waterworld stunt show. But I felt like the actors I was hanging out with were having the same struggles as I was for the first year. I mean, we were not working enough. Nobody had enough money. We're spending our money on classes. We're spending our money on just getting by. I mean, gosh, I remember I, you know, my car was going to be repoed. I didn't have enough money to change the tire. So I'd have to, I mean, just silly stories like that. I felt it was very similar to being an actor, except for that as I started to get a day of work here and there, I started forming a very close knit family of stunt people that I'm still best friends with today. And that network of stunt people that were hustling at the same time, we all started helping each other out. And we started telling each other where the stunt coordinators were that day. This is how you get your first job. Literally, you go to the Paramount lot because you hear that Spider-Man is shooting there. You walk through security pretending like you're on your phone. This is one of my tactics. (laughs) So the security doesn't look at you or ask you for your ID. If you get that far, Then you text on a beeper (laughs) your friend to see if it's an okay time to walk onto the set. And you walk onto the set and your friend goes, hey, the stunt coordinator is over there. And then you walk up to the stunt coordinator and you introduce yourself and you hope that the guy is in a good mood. And you do that to 10 to 15 stunt coordinators a week for about a year. And then you start to get to be known and somebody is going to eventually say, hey, I'm going to give this guy a shot. And that's how you get your first job. So. <laughs> I got a question for you. So, you yeah, know, yeah. B- back in the day, you could get onto the lot, you know, kind of pretending you were on the phone. I mean, I yeah. remember when I came out to Hollywood and I went, I believe it was Warner Brothers and I went to the lot and the uh, the guard said, sorry, kid, I was 18, you know, and he said, sorry, kid, you can't come in. And I literally walked around the building and climbed the wall with the barbed wire and the chain. And <laughs> yeah. I jumped over the lot and I walked onto nice, the set. Nice. And was, met Kevin Bacon. Nobody knew I had just jumped on a lot. But that was right. me, you know. But now you can't quite do that. What do you no. re- recommend for first steps for actors, uh, you know, uh, men now? Well, we still do the networking thing. But really, you're sort of down to chasing the stunt coordinators when they're out on locations versus being on the lots. You know, if you can get, you know, a connection to somebody that can get you on the lot, you do. But, you know, the business has changed so much in the 20 years, 25 years, that most stunt jobs right now are on locations, it seems. You know, there's this thing to chase the tax incentives, you know, for movies and TV shows now. The reason I'm sitting here in New Orleans right now is because New Orleans is sort of the hotspot for film here in Atlanta. And there aren't very many stages in Atlanta or in Orleans. So 80% of the work is on locations now. So that's a good thing for when it comes to down to that hustle. So let's go back to the beginning. What are your first accomplishments, you know, when you came out to Hollywood? So my first, my first job after, you know, hustling for gosh, a year or so and 
I think I had gotten one job on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. No, no, no. Sorry. I had gotten one job on the Power Rangers. I think I was probably an extra, to be honest. I can't even remember. And uh, one day, about a year into it, a friend of mine said, hey, there's a stunt coordinator named Mike Vendrell, and he is doing a show called Angel. And the next 10 people that show up on set are going to get a job. So probably the most unsafe way to get a job. So 10 of us on that beeper chain jumped on our motorcycles and we raced. I remember exactly raced up to five to like Aqua Dulce there. And God, I was the fourth one to get there. Probably, you know, went 90, 100 miles per hour on my motorcycle and I got a job on Angel. And that was my first real gig as a stuntman. And then my second real gig was nine months later. <laughs> so that's how it kind of started. You know, what can you say you're a stunt person? I mean, you know, when did that happen for you? So, you know, one of the pieces of advice is that I think that is very, is very good is that if you are going to start, you know, trying to get into this career, the one thing you need to do is make sure that financially you can support yourself in order to be a day-to-day hustler when it comes to, you know, meeting the stunt coordinators and being consistent with being there and showing up. And there's other things I can tell you about that you want to show up to set with, but you know, I was lucky enough to get a, this job at Waterworld at Universal Studios in Hollywood as a one day a month job. That was enough to barely get me by. You know, when I got that first job on Angel, I was able to get some residuals from that here and there, but I was barely getting by. But that was enough to keep me motivated to float me through hustling these stuck coordinators on a consistent basis. If you go to Hollywood and you hustle for a week or a month or two months, you give it two months and then you run out of money and then you got to go get a job full-time somewhere and then come back. It doesn't work well that way. You have to be consistent and persistent when it comes to proving to the stunt community that you are ready to go. Now, does that mean you get a, maybe you get a bartending job at night? Great. Get a bartending job at night and burn the candle at both ends. Just make sure you're, you stay persistent with your hustle. I think when you really can call yourself a stunt man or a stunt performer and you've made it a career, it's when it comes to you that you have enough contacts And those contacts are calling you on a consistent basis that you are now not having to have that side job. I mean, that is really the key to it. But again, it doesn't mean you're making a lot of money. It just means that you're now doing this as a full-time job, marketing yourself on a daily basis to just get that next job. The, The thing that stuntmen today versus stuntmen back 20 years ago, and I think 20 years ago when I started, we were starting to get into this the new age of, of a stuntman. And I, I feel like I was a pioneer when it came to this is that stuntmen came to the table, not with just a athletic ability. They came to the table with a knowledge of filmmaking. There's a thing called a previs. And a lot of people have heard of what a previs, a previsualization uh, video for an actor. It's usually an animated thing. You know, movies, Marvel will put out a whole entire cartoon that is actually the movie prior to shooting the movie. That's called a previsualization, a previs. But a stunt previs is something where a stunt coordinator will have a group of guys, and man, I've done probably two, 300 of these days for free, where I come out and I rehearse a fight with the stunt coordinator, and the stunt coordinator will shoot that fight with his own camera, cut together the angles, and put together a fight scene, and present that to the director. A stunt person nowadays, almost it's a must to know how to edit, to know how to edit on Final Cut Pro or Premiere to know how to shoot, to know camera angles, and to know how to you know, create the energy of a scene and present that. 
not only to a stunt coordinator, potentially to get a job, but if you have the job as a stunt coordinator to present that to a director, this is a big deal. So this is the downtime we have right now and the crisis in the world. Learn how to edit. That is the thing to do. And I believe as an actor too, right, Billy? I mean, you should know how to edit. I think it's a really important skill. Yeah. You, should know how to edit. you should know how to write, you know, why wait yeah. for somebody to create your project? You know, I mean, you, you've done that. I've worked with a, you on a couple of projects that you've written and directed, you know, classified yeah. and uh, what was the other one we did? The mongoose. mongoose. Yeah, the <laughs> the mongoose. mongoose. That was a fun, um, fun project. That was a fun one. But it's really important to come in with a skill other than the athletic ability. I mean, you know, a lot of people think, oh, I'm not a gymnast. Well, you don't need to be a gymnast. You need to be an all around athlete that has a skill other than just being an athlete, you know, what are some good skills you, or, you know, backgrounds, you know, people should have, to, you know, if they want to do stunts. Well, when it comes to the athletic backgrounds, you know, it's always good. If people have some acrobatic ability, it's always good. If people come in with some motocross skills or some car driving skills, but it's the rock and the hard place. How do you do those? I mean, how do you get driving skills without being a stunt person? You know, you could grow up as a motocross rider, you know, with your family. That's these are always good skills. But I think really people that work the most and work consistently just have an all around athletic ability and they learn the different skills like fighting, like, you know, like driving, like high falling. They learn those skills, you know, basically with your group of people, with your network of stunt people that are learning at the same time. One of the first jobs I got. I went out to the park. It was on Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2 with Tobey Maguire. And the coordinator was looking for somebody that could do Spidey ability moves. So I went out to the park and I uh, got my eight millimeter video camera and I tumbled around the grass, jumped off of trees, fell down some stairs, did some Spidey moves. And I put it together uh, in iMovie way back when, put it on a VHS tape. And I walked up to the stunt coordinator with a VHS tape and I said, here, check this out. And that's how I got my interview. And then that's how I got the job doubling wow. Spider-Man on Spider-Man too. Yeah. That's so, amazing. Well, yeah, that's so the you, hustle. And it took massive action. Yeah. That's the hustle. And all the time now, I mean, as a stunt coordinator, if somebody knows that I have a show, like for instance, a couple of years back, I did a show called Shadows, which was a cloak and dagger Marvel show. And there was a lot of acrobatics in it. The stunt performers that were hustling me the, the best were the ones that were showing me reels that had that kind of action on it. And they would cater their reels to that, even just going to a warehouse and shooting an acrobatic type fight and then showing me the fight. So that hustle is very important. So who have you stunt doubled for? You know, in the last 25 years, I've probably doubled 100 actors. But the people that, are, that were memorable and some of them that I've stuck with for a while is I doubled Johnny Depp on on Pirates 4. I got to do some really cool stuff, sword fighting and things like that with for Johnny. I doubled Michael Fassbender in two X-Men movies, as well as Jonah Hex in 12 Years a Slave. He was a great guy to work with. I've doubled James Franco in uh, Pineapple Express and This is the End and a few other movies. And then I've, I mean, I've doubled some pretty, uh, James Caan, <laughs> Bill Paxton, some pretty fun actors in the past. Who was your favorite to double? I think my favorite actor was Michael Fassbender to stunt double because, uh, you know, we we really were good with each other and, and it was a collaborative sort of effort between the two of us. You know, one of my best experiences was on X-Men Days of Future Past up in Montreal with Michael. But I think my most fun experience was doubling 
Jack Sparrow on Pirates just because, you know, I remember the day that I, I got into the outfit for the first time and, and I was so nervous because Johnny was going to basically had to do a little mini like, you know, walking audition for Johnny because he was heading to England and I was going to stay at Universal and finish this one sequence, which was Penelope Cruz and I uh, running from all these mermaids who were attacking a dock. And so there was a lot of movement involved, less stunty, but more just Johnny movement, you know, Jack Sparrow movement. So when I got the wig on in the makeup trailer and all these medallions are hanging there, I'm realizing that you can't really turn your head normally because you have this big wig. So you're like, I got to turn my head kind of like this. Otherwise it hits me, you know, and then, and then they put all these rings on you. And I'm like, now I'm so aware of my hands. Now I can't move my head and my hands are always in front of me. <laughs> so kind of, I'm doing this. And then all of a sudden they put these boots and everything on. And it's so uncomfortable. Now you're like, you're walking around like it hurts and you can't move. And all of a sudden you're like, Oh, I'm Jack Sparrow. <laughs> just, you just turned right into Jack Sparrow. So, and I got to do how about, the, how my about little audition for him. Ah, how about director? Your favorite director? I guess my favorite director to work for, and it sounds probably cliche, was Steven Spielberg on Indiana Jones. And it was not only because he was so fatherly and sweet, but he was also super organized and so meticulous and knew exactly what he wanted. You know, I've worked with many, many directors that I really liked. You know, they were very good people, but they come in there very indecisive sometimes. And I just, I think as a stunt coordinator and as somebody that, you know, has to be precise when I'm, I'm creating something that I just respect the process when it's well developed and well organized and well prepared. You know, that's when Where'd I respect it the most. Well, actually on that show, it was Indiana Jones, Crystal Skull, and I didn't double. I just played a, you know, German soldier. It, it was a dream come true. I mean, you can, can you think of that journey that I had from my first stunt job as playing Indiana Jones? And when I played him at MGM Studios, Harrison Ford came to the show, sat in the front row, and I was playing him. And that was in 1996. And I met Harrison very briefly while dressed as Indy. Now cut to, you know, gosh, what was it, four or five years ago? I'm in Hawaii and I'm sitting in this military Jeep and Harrison Ford walks up and gets into the Jeep with us. And I'm just like, you know, you could imagine what inside my head I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, I'm sitting next to Indiana Jones. And we started this rehearsal process where we were fighting the sword. He was fighting us in this Jeep. And while Shia LaBeouf was sword fighting in the back, you know, in another Jeep and four days into this rehearsal, you know, finally Harrison kind of, and we were all very comfortable with him. And I had a moment where he hands me his coffee because he's climbing in the Jeep and I holding his coffee and he's sitting next to me. And I was able to say, you know, Harrison, I, I played you at MGM studios in 1996 and you were in the front row and we met after the show and he looked at me and he's like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. <laughs> you know, he was just like, he was like, and I said, yeah. And then I had a couple other connections to him over the years. I knew some people and I actually lived in a house up in the Hills that he had built the deck onto before I had lived there. And I told him, I said, you know, I know, I know Diamond Dave Somerville and uh, I lived in the A-frame across the street from him. And he said, I built the deck on your house. And I said, yep, I know that. And I tore it off, sir, because <laughs> I had I tore that deck off. And he laughed. And, uh, and, the, and right after that was when Steven Spielberg said, okay, I need somebody to eject from this Jeep and ride, grab it onto the bumper and then climb up, you know, so Harrison sees you in the rearview mirror and you're like the last guy standing. And Harrison Ford says, 
Andy's going to do that. And it was probably because I was the only guy he knew the name of in the Jeep, but, <laughs> but I felt like we had a connection. <laughs> so what project are you most proud of and why? I am most proud of 12 Years a Slave. I stunt coordinated 12 Years a Slave, and I actually was also an actor on that movie. I played a character named Treach, which was an amazing experience. But I also just, I knew from the first time I read that script and I knew what we were about to get into was going to be something that will, you know, be taught in the schools in, in years to come. And it has, you know, it has been used to do so. And the reason it was such a great experience was not only because of the subject matter, but it was because of the collaboration between Michael Fassbender, myself, Chiwetel, who played Solomon in the movie, and Steve McQueen, the director. Everybody was so collaborative on that movie. And we had some very, very difficult, tricky scenes to accomplish. And here's what's funny about it. A lot of people would be like, 12 Years a Slave? What stunts were on 12 Years a Slave? There were stunts almost every day on 12 Years a Slave because you can't put people into situations like, you know, in a noose hanging from a tree or riding a horse or being pulled by a carriage or things like that. You can't do those things without a lot of preparation and a lot of design and a lot of safety built in. The reason the collaboration was so great for me in that movie is that there were parts in the script that were written, but not really sort of the writer was great, but there were certain logistics to the action that wasn't written. For instance, quick story. When Chiwetel is hanging from the tree, if you remember the scene, he's being pulled up to the tree and yanked up over a branch. And in that moment, somebody steps out of the house and says, don't pull him up one more foot, step away. Well, if they stepped away from him at that point, he would fall to the ground. That's just the logistics of it, right? Just the logistics. Well, the rest of the scene was him hanging with his feet, touching the ground. So the intention of the scene was all of a sudden up for grabs. Did the guy pulling him up, Paul Dano, the actor, pulling, you know, ordering to be pulled up, did he want to torture him on his toes? Was it a happy accident? They were tying him when they said step away and now he's on his toes. So there was a lot that went into the scene that I was able to you know, sit with the director and say, look, we need to look at this scene. We need to talk about this scene. And my gosh, it became one of the most iconic scenes in filmmaking in, in my career. And it was a collaboration of how we got to the point where his toes were touching the sand and it became a torture rather than a killing. And so that was something that I, you know, was just so exciting for me. So the early training with the bullwhip came into play with 12 Years a Slave. Yeah, yeah. you know, it's funny. I never thought that it would have, but it not only came into play on 12 Years a Slave, but I also was the whip master on Roots, the remake that happened a couple of years back. And recently I was brought up to Atlanta to work on a movie called Underground, where I taught all the guys how to use the whip there. So well, you never know. You never know what skill is going to come to play, you know. So what specialty did you have? You know, was it the high diving that kind of was your forte? Yeah, you know, um, coming into the stunt community with that high diving ability definitely propelled me because nobody else, you know, was coming into it with a nice, you know, ability to fall off buildings and high places. So I was getting those high fall jobs. But having one specialty really, I mean, wasn't the key, you know, I mean, the specialty is not what got my career going. What got my career going is just being an all-around sort of athlete and being good with Final Cut Pro and editing and, and you know being a filmmaker. But it is, like I said, it is good to come in with some athletic ability for sure. So what project are you currently working on right now? 
I am in New Orleans. We are six episodes into a 10 episodes Showtime series starring Brian Cranston. It's called Your Honor. And uh, look for it. It's intense. It's going to be great. So if you could go back in time and go to the young Andy, the 20-year-old Andy, the dreamer, and you can give him any advice, what would it be? I think my advice would be to go for something and go for it strongly. I felt like I had a long period of time where I was flitting around and testing the waters and a lot of different little things. And, you know, I feel like when I finally, you know, found what I wanted to do, I went for it. And that's what finally fulfilled me. But, you know, I, I don't know. It's it's hard. It's a hard question because you just never know where you're going to be in life. You know, at one point I thought I was going to be a photographer. Uh, I didn't go for that all the way. Well, thank God I didn't, <laughs> you know. But I think it is about going for something at 100% and being persistent and consistent. Absolutely. You know, anything that I've ever achieved in my life, you know, coming out to Hollywood at 18, becoming a successful actor, even building my studio, you know, just it, it took massive action to make it happen. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. when I came out here, I flew on a plane with 200 bucks. I didn't have a, a return ticket. You know, so failure was not an option. There was, there was right. no going back. Right, right, right. So, you know, right. I truly believe that you can achieve whatever it is you want, but you have to go after it like you mean it. I'm not a big fan of plan B's. You know, Mm -hmm. I usually find that plan B's become plan A's. Right. You know, I truly believe that if you want something bad enough and you go after it with a vengeance that you can make it happen. Yeah. And that's it. I mean, a vengeance, a vengeance. Yes. Yes. I can truly sit here right now and say that that's what I did. You know, it took me until age 28 to say, hey, I'm going for this with a vengeance. But, you know, everybody's story is different. doesn't matter how old you are as long as you get to that point. So what's next for you? So next is, uh, you know, the progression from a stunt coordinator to a second unit director. Briefly, what a second unit director is, is that you get your own crew. You shoot scenes for a movie or TV show that the director, number one, doesn't have time for. Number two, it's not their forte. So, you know, a car chase, for instance, you can imagine a car chase doesn't use the actors too often. So while the director is shooting an acting scene, we can be shooting the car chase scene because my actors are the cars. So I've been second unit directing for the last five years, uh, which is very fulfilling because it's even one step closer to the creative apple that I've been, you know, going for all my career, you know, but that creative apple is the next step for me, which is directing, first unit directing. I've worked with more actors than most directors I've worked with, if that makes sense. I've been collaborative with actors and, uh, you know, in very intense moments. So I feel like it's a really good training ground for me as a director, but I have to go for it with vengeance. I mean, nobody's just going to hand me a directing job. So I've been very close with a movie called Knuckle that I'm, I'm pushing right now with. And hopefully in the next you know, six months or so, I'll have some good news about that. And I'll be directing my first movie. That's a great script. It's a good fun one. It's a it's, it's one right up my alley. And it's a nice festival worthy film, I believe. And it's got some juicy roles. So you better, you better give me one. Oh, yeah, I, <laughs> you got it. <laughs> any last words, any advice for future stuntmen coming into Hollywood? My advice to a future stuntman coming into Hollywood is and especially if it's one of your people is feel free to reach out to me because I needed somebody to reach out to. 
back then. So you feel free to give my email out to anybody that's looking for something and I can sort of cater some advice to their story because everybody's got a different story. Mine's different than anybody's, everybody else's. But I can also, you know, be the word of wisdom. I can say, you know, look, and I won't candy coat it too. I'll say, hey, look, you got this in place. You got that in place. You got this in place. Are you ready to do it this way? And if you are and you're consistent, you will become a stuntman or a stunt woman. So what are those things that uh, a stuntman needs? You know, actors need headshots, a demo reel. What are those first steps? The first step and the, the trickiest step is to make sure that you're financially set up to start your hustle as a stuntman or as a stuntwoman, and you're able to do that and sustain yourself for at least a year, okay? You're not going to get a job as a stuntman in the first six months. You're going to meet a lot of people, and you're going to do a lot of things, okay? But you're not going to get a job necessarily in the first year. If you're lucky, you do, but that's not enough to support you. So financially, you got to set your life up that way. Number two is during that period of time, you're going to get your hustle on. Part of that is you have to have a stunt reel, okay? A stunt reel is not something that you have to pull footage off of TV shows or movies or go film yourself a short movie and put yourself in it as a stuntman. You just have to go to the park or you go to the gym or go to the gymnastics gym because there's a lot of open gyms out there. And you just have to put together some skills, basic fight skills basic acrobatic skills, maybe some falling skills. Again, it's you need the inside scoop to figure out where to do those things sometimes. And we can help you out with that. Of course, you have to have a headshot. You have to become SAG, Screen Actors Guild. You know, that can be tricky, but there are some ways to get around that, that there are some tricks to the trade. I mean, New Orleans, for instance, is a right to work state. You know, I get people SAG cards to them, you know, 10 times a year here in New Orleans, just because they have the right to work. And then the next step is learning your hustle and having your book, your log book of stunt coordinators and how many times you've met them and how many times you're going to meet them and how long you met them for. I mean, you have to keep track of all of that. So that's the steps that it takes. Probably similar to an actor in a lot of ways. Andy, I want to thank you so much for being a guest on the show. You know, some of this advice is is priceless. You know, success leaves clues. And that's why I created the show, because I want to be able to help actors, stuntmen get there faster. They don't have to make the mistakes that we made along the way. So I truly, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thanks for coming on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. I really enjoy it. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Like I said, my offer is out there. I'm always here for advice. You know, anybody that's a, a student of yours is a student of mine, Billy. So Awesome. Thank you so much. All right, my brother. I love you, brother. Love you, too. Send my love to your beautiful wife. You, too. I will talk to you soon. Talk to you soon, buddy. Take care. Take care. Hey, thanks for listening to the show. Please rate, review, share this with your friends. Subscribe if you haven't. Please take whatever you get from here, the golden nuggets, and apply them to your career. Go after your dreams with passion. Don't let anybody tell you it can't be done. I believe in you. Follow your dreams. I'll see you in Hollywood. 